Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You have an uneasy feeling in the darkness. It's there. But you can't see it. Why is this room so cold? You're home alone. You hear footsteps, whispers, or even laughter. You feel a presence. Is someone or something watching you? And the fear sets in. I'm K-Town, and you're listening to Paranormal Fears. So I had to piece together all, all, all of these stories and um, put them in this book as a sort of start. You know, this is where I started getting interested in magic was because I realized that I was psychic, that I was seeing things, uh, ghosts experiencing paranormal activity, and it, it really made me frightened. So because I was frightened, I wanted to try to understand this and also to understand what was within me and how to overcome this fear. So people read the book. It was aimed at a very different audience, obviously. And one or two people said to me, you know what? Those ghost stories at the beginning were great fun. Why don't you write a proper ghost story book? So I thought to myself, hmm, not a bad idea. So I started writing all of these ghost stories out, but in longer form. And I called it My Haunted Life. And it was a collection of sort of ghost stories and paranormal activity type stuff. Um, and it's, it actually sold quite well. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I'll do a My Haunted Life 2 sort of thing. And uh, I started writing more stories, personal stories. And as I started to get towards the end of that book, I realized, well, I don't actually have any more stories because I've written about all of the experiences that happened to me. So I started tapping friends and relatives, you know, did you ever see a ghost? Tell me about it. I'll put you in the book. And so by the time I wrote My Haunted Life 3, I was actually relating other people's stories. And then it struck me, why not put together a website and ask people to send in their ghost stories? So I built a, a website called My Haunted Life 2, T-O-O, and I started to get tons and tons of people writing their own experiences, ghost stories, everything from shadow people to, um, you know, uh, fluttering fluttering curtains and wind, winds blowing mysteriously through to sounds of footprints and, and really scary um, experiences with, with entities and demons and all that kind of stuff. And then I realized that I was in the business of collecting stories, and I, I even developed a tagline, everybody has a story, even those people that say, ah, ghosts, no such thing. You ask them, well, what's the, what's the strangest thing that's ever happened to you? And they've all got a story. Everybody's got a story. So I started to basically utilize these stories to write different collections of other people's true tales of the paranormal. So the My Haunted Life series turned to the Your Haunted Life series 1, 2, and 3. And they sold extremely well. And then I got into writing 
about specific types of activity. So I did a book on poltergeist. I did a book on what I called ghosts of the living, um, which was really sort of out of body experiences and, and uh, by location, that kind of thing. And then I got one story one day on the website that really terrified me. And you can imagine that I've been doing this for several years. I've read all kinds of stories, talked to all kinds of people, written all kinds of books. And you get a bit blasé. It's um, nothing really bothers you that much. Um, and I got this one story, and it scared the living daylights out of me. And it was about something called a black-eyed kid. So I posted the story on the website, and before I knew it, I had about five or six more come in. And I, I didn't, I'd never heard of black-eyed kids and didn't even know they were a thing. Uh, but this story, this sort of um, modus operandi of these creepy teenage kids dressed in Victorian clothes that show up on your doorstep at all times of day and night and ask to be let in, um, it really scared me. So I started to do some research and... As I did the research, I got into the phenomena of black eyes, what it meant, how Hollywood used black eyes, um, how black eyes can come to people when they're angry. I, I looked at some psychological literature and, and discovered that black eyes are a phenomenon of angry people, this kind of thing. And I came to some conclusions about the nature of black-eyed kids as being basically what I would call demonic, for lack of a better word, type beings that sucked on human fear energy and were basically all about praying like vampires if you want on on fear energy and that got me into other areas like looking at um, uh, the old hag sleep uh, paralysis type experience which again is is based on sucking your fear or even hate to say it but sexual energy um, and feeding on that so I've ended up publishing, I don't know, um, 12, 15, maybe more uh, books of, of ghost stories and also research into things like Black Eyed Kids, The Night Terrors, Poltergeist, um, Living Ghosts, that kind of thing. The website is still there. It doesn't get as many stories these days, but I still do use it. The last book that I put out was last year. It was called um, Watched from the Shadows. And it was still a collection of other people's stories that had been submitted to the website. But this time, I kind of rewrote them all. Um, instead of just editing them lightly, I rewrote them. And this seems to have done the trick because this book is selling and selling and selling and has been in the top 50 um, on Amazon in a, in a certain category for over a year now. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I'd be interested to hear, Gary, um, if you don't mind sharing that first black-eyed kid story that actually um, kind of inspired you to research the phenomena further? Yeah, well, it was, uh, it was just a regular black eyed kid story, but having never seen one before, um, it really terrified me. So basically it was just, uh, somebody, um, has a knock on the door at something like two o'clock in the morning. They go to answer the, they go to answer the door. There's a couple of kids, maybe 14 and 12 stood on the doorstep. Um, they began to feel sort of a, a, a bit, creeped out by the fact that there was young kids dressed in what looked like old-fashioned formal clothing standing on their doorstep. On the other hand, um, very worried and concerned about why two young kids were out of that age were out at that sort of time of night. And so um, opened the door to them, 
uh, starts talking to them. One of them speaks, says, you know, I would like to come in and use your telephone. And um, started to feel that the, the, the person started to feel this like hypnotic effect was going to comply. And then noticed that the child had all black eyes. And of course, this freaked them out, knocked them out of the, the sort of uh, hypnotic uh, sense of the occasion. And they slammed the door shut and then were subjected to uh, probably 30, 40 minutes of knocks on the door, windows, and letters in, letters in, letters in. And then it just went all quiet and the kids had gone. But uh, it was the sense of foreboding, the sense of uh, this great evil wrapped up in a, in a kid package, a vulnerable kid package that really made it to me uh, something very compelling, uh, very scary, and very worrying. <laughs> no, I mean, the first time I heard it uh, years ago, it, it scared me too. I mean, it really did. It just, it shocked me. I, you know, I hadn't heard anything like that. But the fact that even children, you know, this phenomenon is always associated with children is really creepy for me. Have you ever heard of anybody giving you stories about you know, I know you said they show up on your doorstep like late at night, but has anyone encountered those during the day or in public? Have you got any stories like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. It turned out that um, this this was one form of encounter. Uh, the original uh, Black Eyed Kid story that went viral was the Brian Bethel story in Texas, where actually he was in his vehicle and the kids knocked on the window of the car and wanted to be given a ride, a lift. Uh, so all the elements are pretty much the same, except in try, instead of trying to get into the house, they wanted into his car. And, of course, he ended up seeing the black eyes panicking and driving off at speed. He posted this on a bulletin board back in the early days of the Internet, and the rest is history. The black-eyed kid uh, story was born. So when, when all the stories started to pour in, I mean, they were really quite diverse. Um, they were the car stories, the, the on-the-doorstep stories, but also black-eyed adults, and invariably the black-eyed adults were in um, Walmart parking lots for some reason. Uh, lots of stories of black-eyed adults in, in Walmart stores and Walmart parking lots. Stories that combined the two. So the mother would go to Walmart, put the car in the parking lot, leave the teenage daughter or son in the car, go into the store. While the mother was in the store, small kids would knock on the window and ask the daughter or the son, let us in, let us in, we need a ride, let us in, we need a ride. That They would notice the black eyes and panic and can't wait for the mum to come back. The mum would come back and say that she met in the store some very strange person who sometimes even called her by name, thought that this was a homeless person, probably wanted to help them and then noticed the all black eyes and panicked and, and left the store pretty quickly concerned about the child in the car. And so they both had a black-eyed person experience, but different types of experience. Other stories, um, even on <clears throat> high-security U.S. forces bases, I mean, how does a 14-year-old uh, child with black eyes get onto a high-security Air Force base um, and knock on people's doors? I just don't understand how that can be happening. But Do you know what base <clears> that <throat> happened on, Gary? No, no, not off the top of my head, but uh, there was a couple of stories of, of bases where people were having black-eyed kid experiences. Other stories of uh, 
kids and cars, even causing car accidents, for example. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, I discovered several things. One was that the the black-eyed kid storyline seems to be, to some extent, dependent upon the culture. So the North American black-eyed kid is very much the on-the-doorstep or the knocking-on-the-car-window-type story. If you move over to the United Kingdom, there are black-eyed kid stories, but in this in, in this area, they tend to be ghost kids with black eyes in forests, crying out and attracting the attention of passers-by. And in France, for example, lots of, not lots, but a handful of stories that I found where people were driving through the countryside and would see a group of people who flagged them down. They would pull up on the side of the road. The people would come over. They would see the black eyes on the people and drive away as fast as possible. Where the black-eyed kid story had the familiar North American feel in London or, say, Melbourne, Australia, the person experiencing it was an American. So it, it seemed to me that there was a cultural aspect to the way the storyline unfolds. And that is interesting because when you combine that with stories through history of black-eyed kid boogeymen in the forest um, with the Iroquois Indians in, I think it's Canada, and uh, other, other groups of um, uh, Aboriginal-type people experiencing uh, black-eyed, pale-skinned children who, you know, basically pulled them off into the forest. It seems that this phenomena has been around in one form or another for millennia, and the form of the story seems to fit, uh, have cultural aspects. <clears throat> so it varies depending on the location and also the person who's on the receiving end of it. So like I said, you know, the, the American in London gets kids on his doorstep, but the Brit in London sees a black-eyed kid ghost in the forest on his way to a weekend retreat. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And so, okay, so that's interesting. That was actually my next question. I was going to ask you how far back do these stories go? So um, is there anything written that you found in your, you know, during your research that's that's dated like, a long time ago where someone has, you know, recorded an, an instance. I didn't find any sort of personal experiences going back probably further than um, just before the Second World War. So it does, there, there are stories going back to like 1920, 1930, one or two. The French story, for example, was that old, one of the French stories. Um, but there is in myth and legend, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, the Iroquois uh, Indian tribe, have a myth about these black-eyed kids um, that come and steal the souls of the villagers. And this is quite a common mythology um, that you see repeated uh, going back a long, long time. So to me, it, it's like it's either something that's embedded in the, in the human psyche, uh, some kind of weird experience that pops up from time to time, or there is an entity that that uses this particular technique, and as I say, I, I think uh, feeds upon the fear energy that it creates in the person that experiences the the uh, the black eyed kid. And I was on a train to Germany uh, from where I live in Central Czech Republic uh, three or four years ago, and I took an overnight sleeper, 
Uh, I usually flew, and this time I decided, wouldn't it be nice just to take the overnight train, you know, kind of romantic and have a beer and a meal and sleep on the train. So I was really looking forward to it, and I decided I'd go to bed fairly early, and I got into the bed. It was a first-class compartment, so it's just me, a um, little bathroom, little sink, all the mod cons, waiter service. I was really enjoying myself. And I, I fell asleep as the train was, you know, jogging along backwards and forwards and going over the tracks. And then I woke up, except I couldn't move. And I was paralyzed. And I saw this shadow-like thing come down off the luggage rack and kind of sit on me. And then the train jolted and I woke up and I saw the smoke go back up into the luggage rack. And I was terrified. So I took a walk up and down the, the train and had a cup of coffee. And then I decided I'd try again. And the second time, the same thing happened, except this time, whatever the entity was, plainly had uh, certain designs. And I was not very happy about um, being subject to that experience. Fortunately, I managed to wake up again. And I spent the entire night eyeing this, all I can say is like a ball of smoke up in the uh, luggage rack that wouldn't go away no matter what I did. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And this this got me into, I mean, this personal experience got me into the the the, the sort of uh, night terrors, the the uh, sleep paralysis and the old hag, um, which is the entity that some people see in a, in a sleep paralysis scenario that seems to want to engage in some kind of macabre sexual um, activity. And, and again, I think that this is kind of a similar type of entity that feeds off of fear and sexual energy in this instance, like a vampire. And I even came to the, I mean, I'm a PhD scientist, and I know, I know this is going to sound particularly bizarre, but as I read the science on sleep paralysis, um, it struck me that science, materialistic science, scientists have probably got it backwards. Um, the, the entity is not an aspect of sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis is the way that the entity gets you. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so, so I, you know, I've, I've come to some conclusions that, that there are entities. I, I would put shadow people, black-eyed kids, vamp, tr the traditional vampire myth, the, the old hag-type syndrome, all in the same bucket of interdimensional entities that coexist with us, always have done, and kind of feed off of us by driving our fear or some other form of basic energy. And I think this is where the vampire myth came from. And I'm not the only person. I mean, uh, some people uh, have investigated this from highly scientific angles like Anthony Peake, uh, who's quite a, uh, a well-renowned author talking about life after death and using uh, quantum physics and psychology and, and medicine and all kinds of science to come to certain conclusions. And he's written a series of books on interdimensional entities that uh, feed on our fears as well. So um, he's come at it that way. I've come at it my way, but I do believe that these entities exist. Mm. Very, very interesting. I have some more questions about the black-eyed uh, kids. Okay, so have you ever gotten any stories about um, older adults, even elderly people, showing up or asking for help with black eyes? No, not not really. Um, I would say that, that the adults are usually mm, not 
so old. I mean, not 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 old age pensioners, but they can be. Um, they, they they're often described as like homeless homeless people, gotcha. and and many of the stories follow a very again the, the North American stories follow a very similar um, modus operandi. They they always seem to take place in a place like a Walmart parking lot. The person appears homeless. Um, the chilling bit there is usually that the, the black-eyed person knows the name of the intended victim. So imagine you do your shopping. I don't know where you live, but I'm a, you're in the North America, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So imagine you go to Walmart to do some shopping. Uh, you, you shut and lock your car door and you're walking across the parking lot there and you see what looks like a 40-year-old homeless man sat there and you're expecting to be approached for some money or something. And he actually uses your first name to address you. Yeah, that's that's. And then creepy. you see the black. <laughs> then you see the black eyes. It's time to go. Yeah, that that's that's creepy. <laughs> it's time to leave. Um, yeah, so that's that's the modus operandi with with the with the black eyed adult usually in in North America. Has anyone ever told you that they let them in? Yes, um, I have come across two instances of they were let in. Um, in one instance, it was an older couple. They had a pet dog or a pet cat. Can't remember the detail now, but it's in it's in the book. Chilling, chilling, true, chilling, true tales of black-eyed kids. Um, they let them in. Uh, they realised that perhaps they'd made a mistake because they had all kinds of electrical issues, lights going off, telephone not working, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, finally, uh, they just left because some adults came to pick them up. Apparently they just left. There was almost a sense of missing time actually in, in the story or in the telling of the story as if the kids were there longer, but there was some missing time. The cat or the dog, I can't remember which died of cancer almost immediately after the kids left. The husband was very sick for several years with cancer and the lady also developed cancer. So the kids brought this sickness that they, they sucked so much energy from these poor people that it created sickness. In the other story, um, the people let them in uh, momentarily and uh, immediately realized what a mistake they'd made and were able to react and get rid of them. Uh, but again, there was all kinds of electrical disturbances going on whilst the kids were there and um, the two people felt very weakened by the whole experience. They didn't develop any serious illnesses, but they felt very weakened. And to make things even worse, when they threw the kids out, one of the kids uh, looked at the gentleman and said, I'm sorry, looked at the wife and said, your husband is now going to die. That's chilling. Did he die? Yeah. No, he survived. But scary stuff. And that story, they, they talk about the fact that um, uh There'd been a, a rash of sightings of black-eyed kids, and, and apparently there'd even been a whole family disappear. So, so the wait, wait a minute, of, a whole family uh, disappear after contact. Yeah, after a rash, of, after a rash of sightings of black-eyed kids. So, so I can't prove it, and it's hearsay and all that kind of stuff. So, I, I did sort of say, well, you know, how many people disappear in North America every day, and could it be that some of them are prey to these black-eyed kids? Yeah. Wow, that's that's creepy. Um, okay, and so do you know if anyone's reported any type of paranormal phenomena after having a visit from these black-eyed kids? Well, only 
only the the electrical sort of phenomena that I can think of. Um, so lights going off and coming on, TVs starting up by themselves, that kind of thing. Um, in one instance, the other thing about these stories, by the way, is that usually the only people that see and hear these kids are the victims. And so often they're not believed because the neighbors never heard anything. So, so the person who experienced it said, <clears throat> they were knocking on my door real loudly for over half an hour. But in this instance, um, even though the neighbors heard nothing, it was a night where there was thick snow and the footprints were still there in the morning. Wow. Um, saying, oh, um, what about video evidence? Has anybody said anything? Or has anybody ever submitted any video evidence or anything about that? Not to me. No, not to me. Um, I haven't seen any convincing video evidence. There are <clears throat> videos on YouTube, but I'm never truly convinced. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't trust it. So you're saying that when this phenomenon happens, it's normally just one individual person that it ever happens to. No, There's no. never a group of people that actually see them no, no. and see their eyes. No, no, it's it's not just one. It can be it can be a group of people, but it's almost as if it happens to them only. There can be people in proximity that never. So, for that example, never the Walmart experience. They never saw the homeless person, even though you know that that, that person was only meters away from them. Um, so it seems as if it's something that takes place in the reality of only certain people involved and almost, as I say, like a time, like there's a time lapse or a, a missing time aspect to some of these stories as well. So it's a very peculiar phenomena, very, very scary. And as I say, I don't usually get scared, but <clears throat> after receiving a lot of these stories, I remember nights when I was left alone at home, um, particularly around two or three o'clock in the morning, I, I'd start expectantly waiting for the knock on the door. And uh, there was a time a couple of three years ago, yeah, there was a time a couple of three years ago when I was woken up by a, sh a sharp rapping knock on the door. And I lay in bed there shivering and shaking for about five minutes and it, it, not, there was nothing else. But um, yeah, it's the only thing that's really, truly scared the hell out of me. <laughs> uh, me too. Me too. So I agree. Um, okay. Let's talk about the, the reason or the, the, what they are. Let's talk about what they are. I mean, are you said something about being, you know, demonic in nature possibly, and that you research a phenomenon where people's, their eyes turn black if they're angry. Yeah. When I, when I was doing the research for the book, I, I looked into as many angles and aspects as I could. So I looked into how Hollywood uh, has traditionally portrayed demonic possession with black eyes and that kind of thing. I looked at, um, I found a book, a psychology book on, on people that get very angry and have anger management problems and discovered that a couple of stories were their eyes turned black. Um, during the process of losing their temper. Um, I looked at cultural history, so I discovered these legends and myths of, you know, the black-eyed kids and in deepest history. Uh, in terms of what they are, there are multiple different theories, aliens, half-breeds, demons. I think they're interdimensional beings that have lived alongside of humanity 
in time immemorial. And we have an uneasy sort of relationship with them and they can feed off of us. Um, and I think they take the various forms of black-eyed kids, shadow people, um, the old hag. I think they're all very similar types of if – you, if you look at the phenomena and you look at what's going on, it's essentially an energy transfer using fear or sex, lust, some negative emotion, yeah? I agree. Um let me see here. It escapes me what I was going to tell you about that. Oh, okay. So the only other time I've ever heard of someone's eyes actually turning black, uh, I just remembered on my other podcast, Mysterious Radio, um, a chief of police was, I had her on my show and she was telling me about a murder that happened in North Carolina. The guy ended up being a, a serial killer. But when she was interrogating him, she told me that his eyes turned black. In the yeah. interrogation, she was serious about it. His eyes yeah, turned yeah. black. He was so evil, and they just turned black. So, yeah, that, that, she said that was very unnerving for her. Well, I, I, did a, I did a show, I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, like yours, but with someone else. I can't remember the name of it. And I thought I was going to talk for half uh, for an hour. And we're talking about black-eyed kids and such. And then he suddenly said, and I have a guest, another guest who actually had a black-eyed kid experience. And so we were joined on the phone by this guy that actually, you know, had the kids on his doorstep. And uh, yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. <clears throat> actually, being able to interactively talk with this person, and uh, it was a typical typical murder operandi, all all of the same sort of factors that we talked about. And uh, yeah, he was pretty shook up. This wow. guy. I'd like to hear that. Um, I've never heard a first-hand account of black-eyed encounter, black-eyed kid encounter. But um, what about officials like uh, maybe policemen, firemen, people like that in society? Do you know if they've ever came forward to report a interaction with black-eyed children? On my on my side, the, the one was the the uh, U.S. Air Force Base and uh, some army people. Um, no police or anything. No. Who who came the, forward with that? One of the personnel re reported it. Yeah, I mean, how did that come yeah, out? Yeah. It's a story that, that they they sent me. Uh, oh, got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. Know, yeah, yeah. Which is how most of those stories originate. They, they're sent to me, and you have to, you know, I take them with a some of them with a, with a pinch of salt. You know, are they made up? Are they just looking for attention? But when you get so many, and they're all so similar, <laughs> there's got to be, you know, there's no there's no smoke without fire, right? Right, right. You're exactly right. There's some, there's something going on, and I tell you, I, the creepiest story I got um, was actually not even a straightforward black-eyed kid story. Uh, it was, it was a very interesting story um, where an older couple, um, I think they lived in Oklahoma, would go to Texas for Thanksgiving with their kids, you know, to their kids where the kids lived, and. Every year, I guess, they take the highway and make it a quick trip. And this particular year, they thought to themselves, you know, how boring. Let's take a sort of back, backwards route and see a bit of scenery. So somewhere on the, on the Oklahoma-Texas border, um, they're coming down this road, and he, the guy's looking and thinking, I'm, I'm running a bit low on gas, and they see a gas station. So they pull up at the gas station. And immediately they pull up, they're, they're sort of thinking, well, this is a bit odd. It's kind of an old-fashioned-looking place, you know. 
So as the guy gets out uh, to try to fill up the car, the, the wife goes into the store to have a look around and perhaps buy a drink. And so you get the two stories. The wife goes in and she's looking and she's thinking, wow, I haven't seen that, that kind of co original Coca-Cola can in, in a you know, decade or more. And boy, it is not dirty in here with all the cobwebs and all the old tin foods and things. It's, it's more like a museum than a, than a real sea store at a gas station. And then she starts to realize that the whole place is, you know, just old. And she looks out the window and she's seeing her husband almost having an argument with a young boy by the car. So she goes back out and she discovers this young boy um, dressed in old-fashioned clothes saying, come on, just take me fishing. We can get in the car. You can take me fishing. Just let me in and we'll go fishing. And it's that point in, she notices that the kid has all jet black eyes. And she says to her husband, come on, let's get in and go. So they get in the car in a hurry and they drive away as fast as they can. And a couple of, they're all shook up. And a couple of three miles down the road, they come into a small town. And there's a Whataburger or something. So they pull over and they go and have a cup of coffee to calm the nerves. And they relate the story to the, um, to the waitress, who's a local and she's like, there's no gas station there. There hasn't been a gas station there in decades. That's crazy. <laughs> Just, I'm shocked. I couldn't even find the unmute button. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's, that's one of the best stories I ever had. <laughs> wow. That is wild. That's wild. What a, great, what a great experience to have. Yeah. You know? I mean, they were seeing all kinds of stuff. Um, that's that's that is full on creepy right there. Um, what's um, you know okay so let's let's stay there with the stories online and I'd I'd love to know Gary if you've gotten any what what's your creepiest story you've gotten about children? This is something about children scare the shit out of me. I'm well, serious. I think I think that's probably the creepiest one because it, you know it's the story's quite quite uh, long and this kid is really you know very. Um, fanatically arguing about you're going to take me fishing, you are going to take me fishing, you know, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, would be. Uh, and the guy is actually contemplating it's only when his wife arrives that he's kind of break, broken out of the spell and they jump in the car and drive away. Um, another, another good one, another good one would be um, the family uh, sitting in the dining room, I suppose, in the back, and they have like all French windows, all glass, and the young kid uh, is looking a bit disturbed, and mother says, you know, what's wrong? And he says, um, there's a very strange man outside. So the parents look out through the window, and they, they don't see anything, and the kid's getting more and more disturbed, and eventually the father gets up and goes to the window, and it's then that he realized that there's a man stood on the electrical wire <laughs> With black eyes staring into the into their house. Oh, and this oh, is man. what the kid is seeing because the kid is low and is can see up, whereas the adults just see straight out the window. You see, right, right. So they don't see this this person standing on the electrical wires. So there's some very odd there's some very odd experience type stories um, out there. Um, in the last book, the one where I rewrote the stories for a bit more dr drama and a bit more effect. And because um, I wanted to, to, to have a different feel and a style to the book, not just repeat somebody else's story with commas added and, you know, spelling mistakes corrected, but retell the story 
And there's a, there's a wonderful story about a guy who goes cycling in the local forest. And um, as he goes into this forest, he gets deeper and deeper. And it's got this, ta- this time-lapse uh, aspect to it as well, where he's actually in the forest much, much longer than, than he realized. And he gets into the forest and he gets deeper and deeper into the forest. And then he begins to panic because he starts seeing things. He starts seeing shadows and hearing noises and things creeping up on him. And of course, he gets into such a panic, he's cycling like crazy back down the path he came down, except it's never ending. He never seems to meet the end of the forest. And finally, he can hear things behind him and he can hear these noises and even the breathing down his neck. And finally, finally, sweating profusely, he emerges from the forest and falls in a heap in front of an, an, another couple. And it's just it foaming at the mouth with fear of what happened to him, you know. And that story I find quite frightening because it's it's the idea that any sort of normal activity on any particular day can turn into some kind of horrific paranormal experience that you can't explain. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, what about, okay, I'm wondering, do you get any stories from psychic mediums ever about something creepy they experienced? Not, not, not often, no, but I did... Um, write the foreword for a psychic medium who'd written his own book about his experiences. And off the top of my head, um, I must confess, I can't remember his name. Um, but uh, his book was was kind of interesting because um, talking to him after I'd written the foreword, uh, I said, you know, we, we had pretty interesting childhoods. We had similar experiences, except um, in his case, the apparition came with smell. Mine did not. So he had this old gent- this old angry gentleman that would, would look, peer down at him in his bed and, and do various things. But what he could smell was the, the guy's smoky, alcohol-ridden breath in the room. And this was the one thing that we, we realized was that our experiences had been fairly similar, but... Whereas mine was a visual and auditory experience, his was visual, auditory, and sense of smell as well, which I thought was pretty peculiar. And, well, okay, tell me about your story then. Tell us what happened to you. Well, when I was growing up, um, I had been sharing a room, those three of us, I was the eldest, I had been sharing a room with my middle brother. And I woke up one evening, because we didn't go to bed so late, I woke up one evening, and in the middle of the room, where there was nothing, there was a a ghostly cavalier man dressed as a cavalier, like an English Civil War aristocrat, with a quill writing at a desk. And he didn't, didn't look up or anything. He just got up from this desk and he walked across the room and out the wall. And, of course, I screamed blue murder. And my brother had woken up and seen it as it walked out the wall so that there was the two of us convinced that we'd seen this ghostly cavalier. And, of course, we're on the second floor, right? So this this was not ground level. Um, and my father, who was an interesting guy and had his own experiences, he did some research and discovered that where we lived was, in fact, on an estate owned by a, a, an aristocratic family in the 16th century. And so there was the possibility that, cavalier-type gentleman um, 
frequented the area, but why you would be on the second floor of the house above ground level, we never really could explain. But that prompted me to move from that room because I couldn't sleep to my younger brother's room and we swapped places. He had a little bedroom um, at the front of the house uh, sharing a wall with the parents' room. And I moved in there and it was it was the worst thing I ever did because um, I started to hear all kinds of sounds at night and I would lay there for hours um, terrified under the covers. Like what? Sounds uh, like what? Talking, walking, knocking. Scratching sounds and groans and and, um, sighs and, uh, yeah, just just the sound of somebody not happy. And it it seemed to be coming from the loft upstairs, we call the attic, the loft. And it it got worse and worse and worse and worse until one evening I was – I'd gone to college, gone off to college, come back for a weekend – Uh, Because I was staying at the house, um, I actually went out and deliberately had about eight beers because that was the only way I could sleep there. (laughs) And I just laid down and I thought, you know, I'm just going to pass out. So rather drunk. And I heard the front door rattle. And I thought to myself, I locked it. I know I locked it. I left the keys in the inside. So immediately the eight beers effect was gone. And I sat up in bed, stone cold sober, and I listened to the footsteps as they came up the staircase, along with the sighing and the groaning, until it got to the top of the the staircase. And then I started to see the door open. And at that point, I screamed blue murder. And almost immediately, my father came running in the room, switched on the light, and he said, don't worry, I heard it too. I heard it too. And he went downstairs to check the front door. He said, no, the front door's all locked. Everything's fine. He says, but yes, I've heard it too. So it turned out my father was having similar experiences in the house along with myself. And this, this whatever it was, plagued me um, every time I went home. It was awful. I hated it. I was so so relieved when they moved. What about your um, your brother? I mean, was he having the same type of issues? Was no. he scared of the house or? No, just me, just me. And it only happened when I was there. It was almost as if it was targeting you, yeah. Targeting me, yeah. Yeah. And when when I did that magic course and you look at yourself and I realized I developed a contact, an inner contact and all this kind of stuff. And and I realized that my fear, energy, I must have looked like a Christmas tree (laughs) all lit up all the time ready ready to be a victim you know what i'm saying um and so i do believe that you know if you if you allow yourself to be scared if you allow yourself to have fear in these circumstances then you attract uh you attract more energy yeah you amp up the energy yeah you amp it up exactly and you become the center of these paranormal phenomena and it can get worse and worse and worse because you get more and more frightened and more and more out of control. And essentially, you become lit up brighter on the other side and they can see you. They, they, you're like, oh, food, you know? Exactly. Food, dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, okay, so I'm interested in your – what country do you live in, Gary? I forgot. 
Uh, I, I live in the Czech Republic, which yes, used to be Czechoslovakia. Got you. Um, but uh, Czech Republic and Slovak Republic separated uh, after, just after the fall of communism here. And uh, so it's the Czech Republic. It's in Central Europe. I love the ocean, but I probably live in the city that's the furthest away from any ocean in any direction in Europe. I used to live in Houston. Um, I'm a U.S. citizen as well as British citizen. Wow. Um, but I've lived here now for as long as I did in Houston. So um, I still have three boys, uh, one in Houston, two in Austin. So I'm really still awesome. connected. That's yeah. awesome. So you got dual citizenship. That's, that's yeah, pretty dual, cool. Yeah, dual citizenship. And I'm, I'm still collecting the ghost stories on the website. Unfortunately, these days, that kind of website isn't as popular as it used to be. People tend to post their stories at Reddit or on Facebook. It's kind of destroyed the the website. But I still do get some stories. I keep it out there because it's got a huge amount of stories. If people want to find something inter interesting and scary at night, they can, they can log, they can, you know, go read these stories for free. Wow. Um, yeah. There's one, there's one thing I want you to do real quick because we're about to run out of time. I love your yeah. doppel, your doppelganger um, stories. Can you tell us like a real creepy one before we go? A creepy story or one of your favorite stories from doppelgangers? A doppelganger story, gosh, I have to think. It's been a while, but yeah, I did do a book that uh, looked at bilocation and doppelgangers and all that sort of thing. Um, no, I can't. I can't think of a good creepy doppelganger story. Um, <laughs> not off the top of my head. Got I can, you. I can, I can uh, think about the, uh, the 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 bilocation thing because what happened here. Well, what happened here is, is often these books start with something that happens to me personally, right? So my mum uh, called me one day and she said, Gary, you're into this sort of stuff. Is it possible that I could see the ghost of my sister even though she's not dead? And I said, excuse me? She said, yeah, I keep seeing my sister at the door, um, in my kitchen, uh, pottering around my back garden, and then when I, you know, I think, oh, she's come to visit me, and I open the door, and there's nobody there, or there's nobody in the kitchen. Is that possible? So this got me into trying to figure out for my mum, you know, if it were possible. And I came across all these stories about bilocation. Um, you know, in the Catholic Church, many of the saints were, were credited with the ability to be in two places at once, right? And in in sort of alchemy and magic, many of these old alchemists were credited with the ability to be in two places at once. And this is by location. And we also have these people that can do remote viewing where they don't necessarily appear in two places, but they're able to actually look or inspect at some remote location in a meditational state. It's even been uh, looked into by you know the, the armed forces, CIA, et cetera, et cetera. And I therefore looked at could it be a doppelganger type experience? Could it be a remote viewing type experience? Could it be a bilocation? And I realized that it's possible that what was going on was my mum's sister was sitting in her house in a, in a deep, thoughtful state, thinking about my mother and accidentally projected herself into my mother's environment. And having developed this theory, I then started to find all kinds of stories that kind of back this up, that people do sometimes appear into, in a different place to where they are. And, of course, the classical religious story is, is the nun, um, you know, in the 17th century who's clustered in a little room in the convent and not allowed to leave. 
but she's very devout and she often seems to be in a trance of prayer and when she's um, able to speak over a meal or something she's saying that she's converting the indians to christianity and the other nuns think well you know good imagination uh, and kind of laugh it off and then comes the the priest who who says you know um just come back from ecuador and one of your order has been converting all of the Ecuadorian Indians to Christianity. And we're trying to find out who it is and how she got there. <laughs> and it turns out that it was this nun sat in a little room with her rosary beads telling people that that's what she was doing. She was bilocating. So she became a saint. I can't remember the, the woman's name, but she was credited with sainthood um, for, for ability to bilocate. That's amazing. And which, See, Go ahead, go ahead. Paranormal stories don't have to be scary. They can be just downright fascinating. You know, how can that happen? And I, I watch, I talk to people all the time and they say to me, ah, you know, nonsense. Ricky Gervais, the British comedian, he, you know, he's always talking about uh, ghosts and nonsense. It's all nonsense. It's not science. But if you actually go off and read some quantum physics, you start to realize we live in a very strange world. We live in a very strange universe in which almost anything is possible. It's controlled by your thought. You create your own reality to some extent. Um, you know, you can look at a particle and its twin particle um, behaves differently. Um, so, so actually the paranormal, I think, is just um, science waiting to be described as opposed to, you know, something some old wives tale. Very good. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you, Gary. You're an interesting guy with a lot of interesting stories. I want you to take a moment to tell my listeners where they can find out more information about you or any other books you may be working on. Yeah, well, if they go to any of the Amazon uh, websites, uh, they can find my books under G. Michael Vasey. Um, I've got about 50 books out there, um, and they come in uh, Kindle, paperback, and sometimes audio um, you can find me at garymvasey.com or garymvasey.net. Um, and if you want to visit the Ghost Story website and add yours to the collection, it's called My Haunted Life 2, T-O-O, as in My Haunted Life Also.com. Gary, many blessings to you, and I really appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you a lot. Thank you for listening. I invite you to follow my other podcast, Mysterious Radio. Please share this show with others that are interested in the paranormal. I want to give a special thanks to our co-creator and executive producer, Kim Kyle, who brought this show to you today. And working hard behind the scenes, our team of four, I want to thank them as well. I am your host, K-Town, and you're listening to Paranormal Fears. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.